It is good to be back preaching with you all again. It was so great uh, to be able to have some time away with my family and uh, be able to enjoy Southwest Florida, learning about Jesus. Thanks for letting me do that. But I'm excited to be back. Today we're doing a standalone called Leaving a... No, it's just called Legacy. I'm sorry. Don't listen to anything I'm saying. It's just called Legacy. And the whole idea behind this, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that we know what the mission of the church is, right? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. But there's different ways that we do this. There are different people groups that we go to. There are different, uh, we're sending missionaries out to different nations. We're doing things inside of our own city and across our nation. There's different strategies. There are different people groups that we're reaching. And I think the one that is the greatest mission of the church, the greatest way that we fulfill the mission of the church is by leaving an unshakable faith in the lives of our children. If I want to make two disciples in my entire life, if everything that I do, if, if this church and everything that Ann and I are pouring ourselves into in this, if this all fails, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be excited to go and see all of my friends that are pastors like, hey, how's it going? It's pretty terrible. Uh, church closed. Pretty bad at what I did. Uh, but I got a new career. Speaking of which, do you have any life insurance? Because you could always use a little more. <laughs> That's not what I want for my life, but I can live with that. But if I fail to make disciples of my own children, then everything else I'm doing, it just doesn't matter to me. Because if there's two people I want to see in heaven, it's going to be Ethan and Brielle. They're the ones that I'm pouring my life out into them because I want to leave a legacy of faith, of passion for Jesus, an unshakable faith inside of each and every one of them. The sad reality is that right now, 70% of the kids that are growing up in church, after they leave their parents' home, will leave the church. It used to be 50% when I was growing up, and, and looking back at that, the kids that I was in Sunday school with and youth with, it's true, about half of them are still in church and half of them aren't. But they're saying that now it's increased even more, that 70% of the kids that grow up in churches will end up leaving the church. There won't be a faith that's established inside of their hearts. And this should be heartbreaking to us because these are our kids these are the kids of Radiant Church, and even the ones that aren't a part of Radiant Church, they're still a part of the family of God. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. These are kids that were created to know the identity that they have in him and how good God is and how much he loves them. They were created to do good works in Christ Jesus, but they're walking away from the faith. And the reason for that is because we have failed to leave a legacy of faith in them. Now, there's a big difference between inheritance and a legacy. And we think about these all the time. Inheritance is what you leave to someone, but a legacy is what you leave in someone. So this is the time of year as we're uh, doing open enrollment for our benefits through Anna's work. And one of the things we're looking at is how much to contribute to our 401k. And we look at what our goal is for retirement, this mythical retirement that we're hoping for someday maybe. And we look at where we're at and then how much we're going to have to save every paycheck to get to that point. And we just laugh and laugh and laugh and then we cry. <laughs> and we realize the only thing that we have to leave our kids most likely is the gallon of Snickers ice cream that's in the freezer right now. And we're so depressed about this, we go and we eat the gallon of ice cream. And then we feel even worse because we just ate our kids' inheritance. Now, we might not be able to leave a life-changing inheritance to our children, but every one of us will leave a legacy in them. Every single one of us. 
is going to leave a life-changing legacy in our children. And that can be a terrifying thought to me. Because everything I do, everything I say, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I treat them, the way that I love other people, the way that I love Jesus and serve him and follow him, or the way that I don't do these things is leaving a legacy in my children. My character, my values, the things that are important to me, my faith is being put into each of my children. And the same is happening for all of us. Every one of us. If you're a parent, who you are is who your children are becoming. You want to know what your kids are going to be like? You remember the moment when you realized that you were becoming like your mom or dad? You remember the shock of that? I remember the first time I looked in the mirror and I saw my hairline was receding. I was like, no. Oh my gosh, I'm becoming Ken Brown. Like I couldn't believe, I teased him so mercilessly over all the years when I'm becoming him. Have you ever caught yourself saying something that you thought you would never say to your kids because your parents said it to you? It's what happens. Why does that happen? Because they've put a legacy in you. And we're doing the same to our kids. My kids are always watching me. I know this because you think that you're alone, you're in the bathroom, and you, you think that you finally have two minutes to yourself, and you see Zelai's looking at you. What are you doing? Go away! Gosh, what? Get out of here! Just a little bit of privacy. Or you don't know that they're listening to you, you're having a phone conversation with someone, and the kids are watching TV, and then your wife comes home, she's like, so what's this word I heard Eason use? And I'm like, what? I have no idea. Is that Paw Patrol, probably. He's been watching that all day. <laughs> that darn Dora the Explorer and all of her Spanish language stuff is getting mixed up. But everything I do and everything I say is being put into my children. It's the legacy that I'm leaving them for good and for bad. Am I leaving a legacy of a passion for Jesus in my kids? What is it that I'm putting inside of them? Maybe the better question is, how do we leave a legacy for Jesus and those who come after us? This is an important question for us to consider this morning. And it's one that the Bible addresses. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is addressing the nation of Israel. For 40 years, he's been ruling over them, and they've seen God do just absolutely insane miracles to free them, to elevate Moses as a leader, to take them through the desert, all of the miraculous provision that they saw. God has done incredible things. And now there's a transition going on. He's handing the reins off to Joshua, who's going to lead the nation of Israel into even greater things. What God did for the people in Egypt was miraculous, but what he was going to do in the generation that came after them was even more miraculous. It said that he was going to take them into places and that they would go beyond what it was that their parent generation was ever able to go into. And that Joshua would be able to do things that Moses never did. But this next generation, as they're getting ready to go in to the promised land, God addresses them and he tells them how it is that they are to leave a legacy of faith in God in the generation that's going to come after them. And it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what God's doing is he's telling them, this is how you make sure that you continue to walk in faith, how you pass this faith on to the generations that come after you. And the first thing that he says we need to do to do this is that this command is for everyone. He says, hear, O Israel, God isn't addressing just the parents. He isn't addressing parents with young kids, parents with grown kids. He isn't even addressing grandparents, aunts, and uncles. He says the whole nation, all of you, if you're a part of the people of God, he's addressing you about leaving a legacy of faith in your kids, in our kids is maybe a better way to think about it. To all those who come after us, we're commanded to leave a legacy of faith in them. This is something that as I was preparing, I started to think about this. Have I been viewing my interactions? I think about this with my own kids most of the time, and sometimes with other kids, like my, uh, my nephews and nieces, I play with them. But I started thinking, am I leaving a legacy of faith in them? Is this what I want to instill in them? Because most of my interactions with them, honestly, are nothing but wrestling and making fart noises. Uh, that's... I mean, just being completely honest, that's how I interact with them, and that's good and everything, but is that the fullness of the legacy that I want to leave inside of them? Am I viewing it as a, I don't just have a call to my own kids, but I have a call to all of those who are coming after me to teach them of God, to teach them to love him and to follow him in all of their ways. That's the legacy that all of us are called to impart into all of those who come after us. Whether we're a parent or not, whether we have a family or not, we are a part of a big family and there are lots of people coming after us who need to know that there can be an unshakable faith in Jesus. And the second thing that God says is he says, God is first. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what God's doing is he isn't trying to make a theological statement about the Trinity in this, although we recognize that as being true, but what he's speaking to them, he's saying that I am number one. I am first. I am of supreme importance. There is no one who is like me. There is no one who has love for you like I have. There's no one full of grace and mercy and justice. There's no one who has power like I have. There's no one else who made you breathe breath into your lungs, has plans for you to prosper, plans to bless you and to bring you into good places. There is no one else who is like me. So make sure that I am always first. What are we teaching our kids is of first importance in our lives. Because there's something that's first in our life. We would all say, oh yeah, Jesus is number one in my life. But is he? If you asked your kids, is Jesus number one in the life of mom and dad? Or even if it's someone other kid in here and they just see you at church and the way that you're interacting with other people and the love of God in you, would someone else look at your life and say, Jesus is first in their life? The way you can tell by yourself is just to do an evaluation. How am I spending all of the resources and all of the time that I have? What is the priority of my life? When I was a kid, I thought my parents were insane. 
Still think that occasionally. And they're listening, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> I always forget that. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Um, but this is what would happen. We had to go to church on Sunday mornings. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The only way I got out of going to church was if I was vomiting. And even then, it was like, okay, is there enough time between vomits for you to attend a 30-minute service or not? You know, they're doing the stop. It's like timing contractions. They're doing that to me. And I'd be like, hey, can I go to my friend Kyle's house? And he'd be like, uh, no, because you have to go to church in the morning, but you can have Kyle come over here. I'm like, but I want to go to Kyle's house. He has a Nintendo. You know? And I was like, that's crazy. I remember wanting to play hockey. And my parents were like, well, that's a Sunday morning league. I'm like, yeah? I don't have school Sunday morning. And they said, we go to church on Sunday mornings. I'm like, why? We could be playing hockey. I could be checking people against the wall for the glory of Jesus. And they said, Jeremy, God is first in our lives. Hockey's good. Other sports are good. There were uh, educational opportunities that I had that took place on Sunday mornings. And education's a great thing. I encourage everyone, pursue learning more. Be a lifelong learner. Take advantage of every opportunity you have unless it elevates that above Jesus. Your careers. How many, I remember there was times when I had the opportunity uh, to work on Sunday morning, and my parents were like, nope, you go to church on Sunday morning. I'm like, Mom, I could be making five twenty-five an hour, because that was minimum wage back then. I'm like, guys, this is so much more important than going to church. They said, nope, careers are great, but God is more important. Basically, everything I wanted to do on Sunday morning, they shot down, or when I was going to youth group. I remember my parents even controlled my finances. They made their budgets out, and they would show me their budgets, and there was the tithe check, and I'm like, guys, this is a lot of money. And then they gave me an allowance, and I had to save a certain amount, and I had to tithe off of it. And I was like, guys, like, why are we doing this? But what they taught me was that God is first in everything. They made me serve in the local church because God was worth it. He was worth more than just sitting there and doing nothing. They showed me that in everything I did, that God was the priority. And my other friends who didn't have parents like that, they're not in church anymore. Because when I went to college and I was tempted to sleep in on Sunday morning after 18 years of having it taught me and instilled in me through a legacy from my parents that God is the priority, when my alarm went off and my friends were all going to sleep in, I still knew I need to go to church because God is worth it. And when I had opportunities as an adult to work Sunday mornings, I said, no, I need money, but God is my priority and I'm going to look to him to be my defender. When times were tight financially and I wanted to write a check to me instead of to the church, I said, God is worth it and I've always seen him be provision for my parents. He's always been provision for me and I can put my faith and my trust in him that he will continue to do that as long as I honor him and put him first in all that I do. And I'm so glad that my parents taught me that because if they had let me do hockey on Sunday morning, it would have taught me that hockey is of greater importance than Jesus. And you know what? You might not guess this by looking at me, but I was never good enough to go pro. So not only would I have no hockey career, but I wouldn't have a faith either. What are we teaching our kids is first in our lives. Because this is a stat that I just read this week. Only 1% of kids whose parents modeled a faith where Jesus wasn't first to them remain in church as adults. 1%. But 82% of kids who are modeled that Jesus is first in their life are still in church today. 
Do you want a 1% chance that your kids are going to be in church, or do you want an 82% chance that your kids are going to be in church as adults? To me, that's a no-brainer. We have to teach our kids that God is first before they leave our home, or else they won't just leave our home, they're going to leave their spiritual home as well. What's first in your life? Because your kids are noticing it. And it's going to become first in their lives as well. Number three, fight for the heart. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Uh, because God is first, we love him with everything that we are. And to the ancient man, that's what this is talking about, is that there's the heart, which is the emotions, and it's the desires that we have inside of us. There's the soul, which is your mind, it's your intellect, it's your will. And then your might, that's referring to your physical body. And what God is saying is, I want you to love me with everything that you are. I want you to submit your heart to me. And that means the desires that you have. It means your emotions. I'm not calling you to live based out of emotions and desire. I'm calling you to submit these things to me as an act of worship, as a way to say that, God, you alone are first in my life, greater than my desires, greater than my emotions. He says, I want you to love me and to worship me with your soul, meaning that my mind, the decisions that I make are going to be aligned with the mind of Christ and that I'm going to allow God to continue to renew my mind as I continue to seek him out through his word. And it says that I'm going to worship God and submit even my body to him. I love how Paul, he's writing to the church and he's addressing issues of immorality and drunkenness and things like this. And he says, you know what? Your body, you might think it's your own, or maybe you've bought into this Gnostic idea that spirit and body are completely separate and there's nothing, the body has no value or importance that you can do whatever you want with it because the spirit's all that matters. He says, your body is not your own. He says, it was bought with a price. And that your body is the temple, the place where the glory of the living God dwells and resides inside of us. Our body isn't unimportant. It was bought. It was redeemed by Jesus on the cross. And he's called us to submit even the way that we do or what we do with our body, the way that we use it, using it to serve him and glorifying him. All of this, we submit ourselves to him. We submit ourselves and we love God with our heart. We love him and submit ourselves in our soul. And we love him and serve him and submit himself in our might or in our body. He wants all three of these things. But he says this, uh, he's commanding that these things be upon our heart. Uh, why did he specifically say, I want these words that I'm speaking to you to be upon your heart? It's because a mental knowledge of God is never enough. A mental knowledge of who God is and what he's called us to be is never enough to produce fruit in keeping with a godly life in you. What it will produce is if we just teach our kids about Jesus, but not to love him and have desire for him, not to have a will to pursue him, then all we're going to do is create little Pharisees. People that know the scripture, people that know what God wants for them, but there's no desire in their heart whatsoever to live and to pursue him and that call that he has upon their life. This is what, everything that you end up doing, the thoughts that you have, the things that you do with your body, it all comes out of the heart. 
That's where it starts. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, it wasn't because something happened in your body. It wasn't because something happened in your intellect because we can have arguments all day and apologetic discussions and I will never convince you to make a decision to follow Jesus. But when God speaks to your heart and he begins to put a desire in your heart to follow after him, then what's going to happen is eventually it's going to get a hold of your mind and the way that you think and the decisions that you make and eventually it's going to get a hold of what it is that you do with your physical body. We have to start with the heart. We have to fight for the heart of our children, for the heart of the generation that's coming after us. And then number four, we have to use every opportunity. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Every day, we have so many opportunities to teach our kids about God, to begin to develop something inside of their heart, to live a God-first life. And what God is saying is talk to them. That's where it begins. Just talk to your kids. You have so many opportunities. Just turn off the TV, put down the cell phone, make them stop playing whatever they're playing on the iPad, stop watching Netflix. Just have a conversation with your kids or with other people that are around you about who God is. And he gets real strategic. God even says this. He says, sitting in the house, when you're sitting in the house, talk to your kids about who God is. For us, this is mealtime. You know, when we're eating breakfast together, we have two meals a day together, breakfast, and we have dinner. And when we're sitting there together, it's an opportunity to talk to our kids about God. It's an opportunity to tell the kids what it was that God's been doing or to share with them a scripture that we've been going through. There's all kinds of things that you can do when you have a meal together as a family or at least with your children. Take advantage of that opportunity that you have. He says, when you're walking, and maybe for us, and contextually, that would be one word, driving. You have this time with your children where you can begin to discuss with them who God is, the things that he's done. I was driving back from Kalamazoo on Tuesday night with Eason and Brielle, and Eason was asleep, and Brielle was awake, and we just started talking. And she was in the back seat, and I'm you know, trying to look at her in the mirror and drive 10 and 2 and all that stuff. And, and I was just sort of saying, Brielle, what did you do today? What are you thankful for that Jesus let you do today? He's like, I'm glad I got to see Nana and Papa. I'm like, isn't that great? Let's thank Jesus for Nana and Papa. And she's, so she started praying. She's like, Jesus, thank you for Nana and Papa and Nana and Papa and Nana and Papa. She just kept going over and over it again. And I'm like, good, good, good. We love Nana and Papa. What, what do we want Jesus to do for Nana and Papa? Let's ask him to, to help them be safe. Jesus, would you keep Nana and Papa safe? All right, Jesus, let's, let's ask, or Brielle, let's ask Jesus to show Nana and Papa even more how much he loves them. Jesus, would you show Nana and Papa how much you love them? And so what I'm doing is I'm just taking the opportunity, and she'd pray, and then I'd pray, and then she'd pray, and I'd pray, and I wish I could say we did this all the time. This was the first time that's ever happened, but I'm gonna keep that good thing going. Because we had two hours driving down 94 with nothing to do, and I began to teach her to pray, and she was excited about it. And now we're praying for Nana and Papa all the time. Like, they must be blessed. Because <laughs> this two-year-old is just going after it for them. Take advantage of that driving or walking time. I take walks with my kids yesterday, and we're looking at the leaves as they're turning colors. Like, this is so beautiful. Let's thank Jesus for how beautiful he made creation. Jesus, thank you for the leaves. I'm just teaching my kids to be thankful and to go after Jesus. Or... Uh, the next one is going to bed. This is one of my favorite times with my kids. 
So we have this Jesus storybook Bible, and every night we're reading them one of these stories out of the Bible. And we all cuddle up, and they hold my arms down so I can't turn pages, and it's really uncomfortable. But last night we had to read two stories. We read about Naaman, and we're able to talk about Jesus and the imagery of Jesus and Naaman and that he has the power to heal and that he loves people that are our enemies and that we should love and want the best for our enemies too. And then they had me read David and Goliath because they had me read that every night because that's just the cool story in the Bible when you're a kid. And so then what we do is after we read the Bible story at night, who are some of the people that might be mean to us that we should be praying for and wanting God to heal? So there was this kid at the library that kicked me. Well, let's pray for him. Jesus, thank you for this kid that kicked me. And Jesus, I ask that you would help me to forgive him and that you would bless him. And I'm like, that might not be a real like theologically deep prayer, but it is at the same time. And we're teaching that to the kids at this early age. Take advantage of that nighttime. And then we all pray together. And it's so fun and it's so repetitive. But we're teaching the kids. Now if I were somehow to forget, if we're coming home late and they're asleep and I'm trying to get them in bed, they wake up and like, no, Dad, we got to pray and read about David. And so that's just what we do. It's become a legacy that's already been passed on to a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And when we're waking up, when you go and wake your kids up in the morning, look at God made a whole new day for us today. Let's ask that God would speak to our hearts today. Help us to be kind to people. That he would show us how much he loves us and that we would love him even more today. Be strategic about this. And here's one of the things that we're doing is we want to help you in that. So what we've done is we've actually just made this change in our kids' curriculum to something called Orange. And what we're doing is there's something that will be going home with all of you that have kids in kids' ministry called a parent cue. And it's going to tell you everything that our kids are learning. It's going to tell you the memory verse that they have for this month. It's going to tell you every week the Bible story and the chapter and verse of it. So you can read that and you can go through it with your kids. It also has questions for you to ask your kids. Already, little cues for you. So when you wake them up, it has a question for you to ask them. When you're driving, when you're eating a meal together, it has questions that you can ask them that relate to what it is that they're learning in kids' ministry on Sunday morning. Because what's going to make a difference in the lives of our kids isn't when you as parents and we as a church are separately trying to build faith in them, but when we come together to do this. That's when we can build an unshakable faith in the hearts of our children. Another thing is we have Bibles for all of the kids. If you have someone that's in the zero to twos, the three to fives, we have the Jesus Storybook Bible for you to take home and start reading that to your kids at night. And then for some of the older kids, we have a little one-year challenge Bible that they'll be taking home today. There's short little uh, chapters for them to read every day so that they can go through the Bible and read along with them. Have discussions with them about what they're reading. And if you don't know the answer, that's great. Tell them, I don't know. Let's find out. Because that models for them that they don't have to know all the answers and that the Bible is something we continue to learn about over the course of a lifetime. And then lastly, number five, never forget what God has done. It says, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What happens so many times is we are so blessed by God. We have seen him move. We have seen his goodness. And we recognize that and we thank God for it. And we have blessing that we don't deserve. It says that they went into homes that they didn't build and they ate from crops that they didn't plant. That was God's blessing. That wasn't something they provided for themselves. Well, we're all walking in that kind of blessing if we're a Christian. 
that we have blessings that we don't deserve that are just from Jesus because of his love for us. Our salvation, the healings that we've seen, the times God's spoken to us, the strength he's poured into us, his grace, his mercy, all of these times that we've seen God move and do incredible things, we might remember them and we might thank Jesus for them and it might build a faith inside of us, but if we don't tell these things to our children, they will never know. They will think that you brought on yourself all of the blessings that you have. They'll never know that it was God that did it. I don't want my kids to ever think that I'm so pure and that I'm so holy and that I have somehow by my own hand brought about all the blessings that I enjoy in my life. I want them to know that their dad used to be a bad man, that their dad struggles with sin, that their dad isn't perfect, that their dad is such a broken and flawed vessel, but by the grace and the power of God, I've received salvation. By the grace and the power of God, I'm able to walk into what it is that he's called me to. And I'm able to be transformed and renewed into his image. Day by day, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And I might still struggle, I might still fall, I might still fail, but I'm still going to get up and I'm still going to follow after Jesus. I'm never going to forget about the good things that he's done in my life, for the healings that he's brought into my body, for the wife that he brought me, for the children that he's given me, for the friends that he's surrounded me with. I am such a blessed person and it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. And I want my kids to always know that. And I want them to know that what Jesus has done in me, he wants to do in them. And I want the ceiling that I reach someday at the end of my life to become the floor that they start out on in life. I want them to go farther in their faith, farther in their passion for Jesus than I ever can. I want them to do greater things for the kingdom than I ever dream of doing. But I can't leave a legacy to my children that is something other than what I am. And this is where it starts for us. Whether you're a parent or not, God said, all of us are called to leave a legacy of faith to those that are coming after us. Can you leave that legacy right now? Is it who you are? Or is the legacy that you're going to leave and those that come after us going to be one that causes them to walk away from the family of God? Is Jesus first? Are you someone that's walking in repentance and forgiveness? Are you someone that's loving those who hate you? Are you someone who's forgiving your enemies? Are you someone that's making Jesus the center of everything that you do? If not, then you can't leave that to anyone else. And what we have to do is we have this morning have to say, God, would you first do that in me? Let's pray together this morning. What God did in the nation of Israel was miraculous. He led them out of the place of slavery where they couldn't escape, when they were in bondage that they couldn't escape. And he came and he freed them. 
He gave them new life. He became their God. They became his people. And it wasn't because of what they did. It was all because of him. And this morning, if you're far from God, then his call is the same to you. Is that he sees you in the land of oppression. He sees you in your sin. He sees you in your struggle. And he doesn't despise you. He loves you. He has mercy for you. He's calling you to himself. There's no sin that's so great that he doesn't love you and that he can't forgive you and give you new life this morning and begin to leave a legacy in you. And Jesus loves you so much that he came, he gave up the glory of heaven, he lived amongst us, he was nailed to a cross, paying the full price for our sin. He paid the penalty that we deserved because of his love for us. On the third day, he was raised from the grave, he reigns and rules over all things, and one day he's coming again to fully establish his kingdom. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. So this morning, if you're far from Jesus, if you haven't been living your life for him, if there's been sin issues that you've been struggling with, this morning he calls you to repent. He calls you to ask for forgiveness and to receive the new life that he's given you this morning. You can just pray that with me this morning if that's you. Father, forgive me. Thank you for your love for me. A love that I can't even understand but that I receive from you. And this morning, I'm walking away from that old life and I'm embracing the new life that you give to me. Father, would you strengthen me for that? Father, would you send the Holy Spirit to fill me, to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of my life, to strengthen me that I can overcome every temptation to sin, so that I can overcome condemnation and guilt and shame and live in the joy and the peace that you have won for me. From this day forward, I'm following after you my life for you, my heart, my mind, my body, all submitted to you as my king. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I encourage you to stand together. We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning for all that he's doing.